Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. So head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. And joining us on the Carne Asada is former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, El Padrino, El Padrino of the Carne Asada, Ned Coletti. ¿Cómo estás, Ned? How are you? Doing well. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, Ned, so we wanted to have you on because we couldn't think of anyone better than the guy who actually brought Justin Turner to the Dodgers. Uh, I think this is a... I am, I'm not surprised that it took every Dodger fan. Like, the reaction that I've just been seeing is just sadness. It, it, it really is. But I want to start off by what is it that you saw in Justin Turner that you thought, you know, it's going to translate for success over here with the Dodgers? Because on the Mets, he wasn't the player that he was with the Dodgers. No, he, he wasn't. And I think there were a few things. I think, um, first of all, from our team standpoint, we had had um, four really good players that could play all over the infield. Jerry Hairston, uh, Michael Young, who we had acquired at, at the uh, August trade deadline uh, earlier, you know, the year before, uh, Skip Schumacher and Nick Punto. And, and Nick and Skip were looking for two-year deals. Michael Young was going to retire. Jerry was going to retire and do TV. So um, and I needed to get younger. And I also needed somebody that I, I knew could hit. And JT could always hit. We knew that. Uh, we weren't necessarily sure about the position. We thought he could play all over the infield. Second base is really where we had him earmarked for. Could probably play a little bit of short and a little bit of third. But what also intrigued us was where he's from. And I don't think L.A. is easy for a lot of people to play in L.A. It's, it's a city with incredible expectations. You're in, you're out. And I think it takes a special special type of character to do that. So we knew that he understood that. And we knew he could hit. And we were we were looking for people that could really play and help us win. And then he had been non-tendered, wasn't a non-starter for us. It actually gave us opportunity. And as it turned out, it gave him opportunity. You know, you, you gave a really you put out a really touching post on your on your Instagram about Justin Turner. And I, and I feel like that's something that's kind of lost in the game now is that ability just to recognize. And, and it seems that everybody that's talking about Justin Turner is talking about Justin Turner, the person, not the baseball player. Do you do you see a lot of that in the game and we're just, you know, uh, naive to it? You know what? I, th I think it is it is somewhat unique. I mean, there's you know, I've had friendships with with players going back for you know 40 years, 
Um, and there's probably, if you went from one to a hundred, there's probably 5% of the players you wish you'd never met before, right? Or watch play. <laughs> there's about 90% that kind of blend in into that, that 90 percentile. Some at the top of it, some in the middle of it, some at the bottom of it. And then there's a 5% that you, you spend some time with and you, you see them develop. And, and a lot of the young players that we drafted, you know, Clayton, Corey, uh, uh, Bellinger, um, on and on, Jock, so many, um, Kenley, that, uh, you know, you, you start to get to know who they are as well. And, and JT was just always somebody that we continued to stay in touch after I left the GM chair, continued to stay in touch when I, was, when I did TV, been invited to numerous player weddings during my career, and went to two of them. Went to Jamie Moyers a long time ago in South Bend, Indiana, uh, when he married Digger Phelps' daughter, Karen. And then JT, when he and Courtney got, got married, uh, went down to Cabo and, and celebrated their wedding. And I think it's, it's, it's a special thing to have that type of rapport with a player, typically a front office and, a, and your playing roster. You know, two different one side, but, but two different things. You got the business side with sometimes – you know, you don't always agree with, but in his case, it, it just seemed to be a, um, a, a respect that was, was, was born really at the very beginning. Remember I, I had offered him a major league contract and it was based on him passing a physical. And when he went for the physical that day, I got a call from either Neil Elatrosh or Stan Conti, our trainer saying that his knee was, was going to be, you know, something that's going to probably need surgery at some point in time. Did I want to take that risk? And so the difference between a major league contract and a minor league contract is the minor league contract isn't guaranteed. Major league contract, he's in spring training and he gets hurt. He's going to end up being on, on your 25-man roster, but as, as an injured player. And so I called him and I says, look, you know, uh, I don't know any other way to tell you this, but, you know, we're going to make this a minor league deal. We're going to take away the guarantee part. But understand how I feel. And understand that you can trust me. If your knee is fine, and he says, I feel great. I said, well, then bet on yourself and come here and take this chance for spring training, knowing that if something else, if you get hurt in a different place and you got to go on the injured list, I'll cover you. You got me. And you're going to trust me, and I'm going to have to trust you. And so that happened before we had ever really sat down face-to-face. -face. That was in Feb late January or February of 2014. And then, you know, he came to spring training, you know, stayed healthy, made the team. We ended up opening that season in Australia, as you may remember, against the Diamondbacks. And um, he and I and, and Courtney ended up playing blackjack at the, at the hotel we were staying at uh, before we ended up beating Arizona those two games. So our, our relationship kind of started early where we had to trust each other. And then it, it grew from there. And, you know, when you sit down and you have a meal with somebody or you're, you're playing cards with somebody and they have a chance just to have idle conversation, you get to know each other. And that's the first time I met Courtney as well. And it, it just continued to grow where even when I started doing TV, if I would see him or he would see me, we'd, we'd wave or he'd come up and say hello and, and we'd, we'd chat for a little while. And, you know, it, it was just that type of rapport. I'll tell you one other thing, too. Um, when I got the job as a GM a long time ago now, I got a call from Hall of Fame GM John John uh, Sherholtz. Okay. John Sherholtz and I had known each other for a long time. I asked John, I said, so 
give me one piece of advice. I said, you know, you've had this great career. Hadn't been in the Hall of Fame yet, but had this great career. And he says, I always ask myself, and I haven't always been perfect at it. And sometimes I knew I was, I was, you know, not going to be able to accomplish it with this particular player slash person. But I always ask myself, can I trust the player? Can I trust a person? Not to watch your house or not to, you know, stuff like that. But can you trust that the effort is always going to be at the utmost? That whatever they have to give, you're going to get as an organization. And I can tell you that from, from day one, Justin Turner had my trust and, and did nothing but continue to verify it. That you know what? We had made the right choice in bringing him back to L.A., his hometown, and giving him a chance. Historic player, in my opinion. When you look at what he's done and how he's done it, every year his team was in the postseason. Every year he played here, postseason player. And you just look at the production and the, the class of which he's handled himself. He and Courtney in this community, they figured out they could leave a positive impact. They could change people's lives who they didn't even know necessarily. But because of their position in life and the blessings they had, they could be blessings to other people. That, to me, is one of the great traits of Justin and, and Courtney Turner. Well, you're the only one on this show right now that's worn the GM hat. So walk me through this, Ned. You talked about the intangibles. Like, you, you brought him over here because he knew the area. Now it's the end of his career. Is it? Do we overstate his importance in the locker room? Like, would that be a reason why you bring this guy back alone? Let's say maybe the numbers dropped off a little bit, but what he brings to the clubhouse, is that enough to bring someone back? Uh, in some ways it is. And, and I don't want to get into the middle of the negotiation because I wasn't a part of the negotiation right. on either side. So I don't know all the detail. Uh, I sense that the second year was, was where the, the split came. Um, but I think that when you... The, the toughest thing that I had to find year in, year out were 20 game winners, somebody who could give you 200 plus innings and was going to go out there and lead a rotation, legitimate 30 home run guys, guys that had legit power that could drive in runs and put runs on the board and change a game with a swing. And the last thing that was just as hard to find is leadership. People who will, will take some of the leadership and I, I don't mean this, that you take the leadership away from the manager, but you give another voice, a peer-to-peer -peer situation, whether it's telling somebody, hey, you got to pick it up. You got to be a little bit sharper with this, a little bit keener with this, or whether it's a young player. And it's a young player that, you know, going to be nervous, going to be anxious about it, but they look across the room and they get the nod from a veteran, a guy like JT, or I'm sure Kenley or, or Clayton or, or many others that, hey, we got you. Everything's going to be cool. You just play. You just do what you can do, and you just play. And I think that that go, that happens. And I think that, that that is a key part. I think a lot of this franchise success for a decade, you go to playoffs 10 straight years, that doesn't happen that often in baseball. A little bit easier now because you have an expanded field. But when this first began, there were four teams going from the National League. So I think you need all those attributes, including the leadership. And I mentioned this to somebody the other day that when I looked at this Dodger team the last few years, one of the many remarkable traits of it, and there are many, was how many young players came up and had really uh, no transition to the big leagues almost. They came up, they fit in, they produced. Dave Roberts, Andrew Friedman, 
gave players uh, a little bit of patience, a little bit of grace to kind of get their bearings. And I think the success of a lot of these young players is also attributed to the veterans in that room who made them feel welcome, not taking somebody's job. And, you know, like in the olden days where, you know, a rookie really had to earn their way because the veteran was not going to make it easy for him. I don't think that happens anymore. I think this group, especially this group, and, and Justin being a key part of it, they understood they needed everybody in that room to help them be as good as they could be as a team. So I do think that he, he brought a lot of that. That said, you know, decisions are made and, you know, we can never forget it's, it's the business of the sport. But again, it's, you know, he's somebody that is historic, in my opinion. You look at the big hits he had, how he embraced the community, how he embraced the team and the team's success and his own personal success. That, to me, is historic in nature. And that's not an overstatement. I, I, you know, you, you mentioned it. I think you're right in terms of the historic. I, I think if you look at it, his numbers are up there with all-time Dodgers in terms of just the Dodgers organization. But I, I honestly, what sticks with me is more, we were lucky enough to have him and Courtney on the show. He had his dogs with him while he was on, on the show. But the thing that I'm going to remember, yeah, he had the home run against the Cubs and all that stuff. But to me, this is a guy who won the Roberto Clemente Award. This is a guy that at the end of the second inning would always go over and yes. shake the veteran of the game and give them a, a, a baseball. He had yes. the Justin Turner Foundation. I, I Look, we've had this before with other players, you know, Valenzuela. To, uh, to us, he should be retired because of the contra cultural contribution mm -hmm. that he made to this organization. Maybe Justin Turner doesn't have the same impact as Valenzuela, but I do feel that he made a cultural contribution to this organization. He also happens to wear a 10 that another guy used to wear. Is there a way to maybe honor both of those guys with doing something with that number, Ned? Well, I, you know, I, again, I don't have uh, any, any voice in any of that. I think it's, it's certainly a, um, a great question. You know, I'm from Chicago. I grew up uh, in that city. I grew up with that baseball team there, the one on the north side. And there's a 31 that's retired for Fergie Jenkins and Greg Maddox. So, you know, it's, it's possible. It's, it's obviously been an iconic number for probably 20-some years in the organization, if not more. Um, but again, that, those are those are questions way beyond you know my thought process or my contribution. But you know, I go back to to, to what he meant to the organization and, and what he did, and the community. And I think that that will always stand. I mean, he's going to Boston for a short period of time, a year, two years, whatever. Maybe there's another stop after that. But he will always be a Dodger, and he will always be revered in this city for how he played, but also who he is and how he went about it. The work he's done with veterans, the work he's done, as you mentioned, the, the second inning, which I saw many times and, you know, wasn't there to do it on the camera. wasn't there for the spotlight was just doing there because it was from his heart. And I think when you, when you have that type of person and that type of character, they may leave an organization as a worker slash, uh, you know, player, but they're never really going to leave that organization because they're always going to have the, the, the memories and really the, the solidifying aspect of the player, historic in so many ways, big hits, postseason 
big hits. I know his totals are somewhat exaggerated compared to the, the Garveys and, the, and Ronnie and those other guys in Duke because they played more games. But you still got to—you still got to be able to hit. You still got to be able to play, and be a, a championship type player on both sides of the ball. Think of the play he made in Atlanta, you know, yeah. on the, the rundown. I mean, that was such, that was one of the most important innings of that entire NLCS because the Braves were were threatening, and there were nobody else when that whole inning started. And then he makes that type of play. There's so many things we can get into, but by and large, you're talking about a historic production of a player. Offense and defense, and you're talking to about somebody he and his wife that have made a major impact in the city and the region of Los Angeles. This is, uh, I guess, this is a hard reality for all baseball fans. But we are now entering a phase where the team is is looking different. We've had Bellinger's left, Turner's left. Kershaw makes everyone a little nervous every year. It's with Kershaw. Is this going to be the last time? So is this just really more of a lesson, uh, Ned, that we just need to appreciate these guys instead of just bitching and moaning and complaining that, you know, they lost in the playoffs last year, but it's like, just appreciate for what they give us every day, you know, going out there. Because, what Justin Turner gave us, I, I don't. I have a hard time believing we're going to see someone else like him. Well, I think that uh, winning should never be taken for granted, and I think um, it's tough to win in the big leagues. To do ten straight playoff appearances and nine division championships and, and three World Series and one championship—that is not easy to do. I don't care what your payroll is. I, I don't. That doesn't matter. It's all difficult to do. So I think it needs to be cherished while it's happening. And, yeah, people get upset game to game or you get upset, you know, San Diego beats you, you know, unexpectedly, so to speak. Yeah, but that's part of the sport. That's why people go to games because they're, they're unpredictable. But to do what the organization has done for as long as it's done, done it, it's, it's, it's virtually impossible to do it, but they've done it. And I think that that is – that is a mark on uh, – that is a, a salute to everybody that, that's had a hand in it. Because, again, it's not easy. So I hope people do appreciate it. And, yeah, it, it, it seems like a, an off-season of transition. You know, both the Turners – I mean, you went through the list. And, and so it, it's, it's the changing of the guard a little bit. You know, I've, I've known a lot of those players for a long time. You know, I think I'm down to, to Clayton and Julio and, and, I, and Caleb Ferguson. I think, you know, so – you know, it took a while, but you know it's uh, it's transition time, and that and that's really how you continue to win, is to be willing to transition from time to time, no matter how how much people love who the players are, and it's it's been a special period of time, no doubt, and the the work and the success, of the ownership, the front office, the manager, the coaching staff, and the players has been historic in a historic franchise's history. Well, we're gonna we're gonna let you go with this one, uh, Babyface. You wanted you wanted to ask the padrino a, a question. Yeah, well, just real quick, Ned, um, when you're you're talking also about about Courtney, like I was just thinking about that. How Justin Turner and Courtney Turner, they both are so special to this city. I mean, Justin would always mention, you know, all the work that Courtney puts into it, and we're gonna miss that as well. I mean, you know, we're gonna miss Justin, but we're gonna miss Courtney. And I remember back when we talked to him on the red carpet at, at one of the Kershaw events and you'd see Courtney 
when Justin talks, just the way she looks at him, like when you think of those memes, like, you know, find yourself somebody that looks at you like this. Like, that's how, that's how Courtney looks at Justin. Just, just, she just looks at him with this, like, just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something special to see them together. And, and, and Justin's mentioned it before, you know, like I said, the work they've done winning the Clemente award this year, she was a big part of that. Um, and I think you, you had mentioned before you were kind of, Telling uh, telling Courtney to sign, right? Like it was something about like you know, when when you were trying to get him to come over, you were you were telling, hey, yeah. get this guy to sign, right? I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story. Yeah, it's um, I was walking from my office on the fifth floor of Dodger Stadium down to the, the, the lunchroom uh, late mid January of, of two thousand and fourteen, maybe early January, and uh, uh, someone who worked in, in marketing, Cat Belanger, who ended up marrying Tyler Toffoli, the Great King. Uh, she comes out and we say hello, and she says, "Hey, I hear you're trying to sign my best friend, my girlfriend's um, boyfriend." And I said, "Who would that be?" And she says, "Well, Courtney and, and the players, Justin Turner." I says, "Yeah, you're right. You're right." I says, "You talk to them." She goes, "Oh, all the time." I says, "Well, make sure you know. Make sure he knows that we're serious, and we really want this player to, to you know, to come be a Dodger. Come on home." And about a week went by, and I ran in there in the same place or maybe the same time. And uh, I said, hey, did you have a chance? And, and she says, yeah, I did. I did. Well, I said, tell him the clock is ticking. You know, we're going to have to make a decision here. He's my lead guy because I've lost these, these four other veteran players that could play all over the infield. He's my top, my top choice. But, you know, I got to have somebody if I don't have him. And so she said, oh, yeah, yeah, well. So within another week, uh, we had we had signed him, and he had he had the alumni game where Tim Wallach went, and and I don't know if Tim was aware of my conversations with with the with the um, agent or not, but you know he put a good word in for the organization too, and coming from somebody of of, of Tim's status and experience and and love for the Dodgers, you know I'm sure that that had uh, a lot to do with with JT's decision as well, but you know that started right at the beginning, and so I. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I can't remember, and I've done hundreds upon hundreds of contract negotiations. I can't remember one that had that type of dynamic to it. But they've been a tremendous couple. And I, I talked to him after he was uh, named the Roberto Clemente Award winner for all of Major League Baseball a couple months ago, which is one of the great awards of all time. And I says, when you look back on your career, there's going to be many things that you're going to be proud of. But there'll be few things you're going to be prouder of than the Roberto Clemente Award. And that's a team award in your case because it's Courtney's and it's yours. Both of you, the Turners, were Roberto Clemente Award winners. And I think that they, what they've done together and how they see the world and how they uh, understand their, their, their position in life and the blessings that they had. I said this earlier, the blessings they've had. And they, they move them to other people. And I think that is one of the great trademarks of any individual. And, and they have been phenomenal at what they do on the field with JT and on and off the field with Courtney and JT. Just, um, so, yeah, so you were talking about the transition, right? Like there, it's, there's a time for change. And the last, when I was thinking, the last time that I think the way it looks now is it looks like this is going to be the year that there's going to be a lot of these young kids that they've been talking about, the Bobby Miller, Miguel Vargas, yeah. all those guys. It seems like they're going to get their chance now. And when I was looking back, I'm, the last time that I actually remember where maybe it was a group of young kids 
was I think in in your time, right? When you had Easier come up, when you had Kem yes. come up, when you had uh, Russell Martin. Yes. Every every other year, I think since then they've kind of just you know kind of phased somebody in. You know, they'd bring in Jock one year, they'd bring in Seeger one year, and you know, and then so forth. How how do you think that transition now is going to work with you know this this is the year that it looks like you know these kids are going to get their shot. Well, you're, you're right. Uh, my first, I, I was hired in November of 05, uh, and, and our opening day was April of 06. And I think about five weeks in, we called up Russell and Andre Ethier, who I had acquired from Oakland a couple months before. And that's where it began. And I think Jonathan Broxton had already touched the big leagues a little bit, maybe Billingsley, and then James. And then a little while later, here came Matt. And, and little by little, we did transition on the fly because we ended up winning the division or tying with San Diego the first year in 06, took a little bit of a step back in 07, and then went to the LCS in 08 and 09 with really a young team. Um, you know, Jeff Kent certainly contributed to that. Casey Blake, Manny Ramirez was, was a big part of the 08 and, and uh, the 09 team. So uh, we did transition, and we did it on the fly, and in in, in, so to speak. So... Uh, you have to do it. Um, but understand, and going back to your, one of your previous questions about you know, uh, appreciating where the organization is and has been, you know, appreciate how hard it is to play in the big leagues, too. And I think you can take a player that's played in the minor leagues, but you need to give them a little bit of grace because playing in the minor leagues for a full season of AAA or AA or half and half is not like playing in the big leagues. 162 games, 55,000 people at Dodger Stadium for half of them. You know, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of expectation. So it's going to take it's going to take a little bit of time, probably, and it's going to you got to be patient with it because the toughest thing to have in the sport is patience, because you evaluate it almost every day. But if you don't have patience, you're going to end up making more mistakes than if you do have patience. And I think that it's it's going to be an interesting season because we're going to see a lot of young players really given a chance, a true chance, not a chance once a week or here and there, but it, it seems like a true chance to be Dodgers. And that's going to take a little bit of patience and a little bit of grace. But if, if you believe in your system and you believe in, in all the work people have done from scouting and player development and doing it the Dodger way, you got to be patient with it because it'll start to bear fruit again and, and you'll be able to, make another decade-long run, if not longer. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A big thank you to El Padrino, Ned Coletti, for joining us. And as, as I said, a big thank you to everybody because this is the guy who brought us Justin Turner. This is the reason why we were able to experience all the great joys from this man. So, Ned, we, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank you very much for thinking of me and, and putting me on. I, I miss talking to you guys anytime. I'd be happy to join you again. Thank you. Thanks, Ned. And once again, a big thank you to El Padrino, El Nino, Ned Coletti for joining us. It's always fun having Ned on there. And, you know, what a, I, I couldn't think of a, a better person to have on to talk about Justin Turner. So, I, I look, all I saw on the Twitters, all I saw on the social media is people being super, super sad. And part of me was reacting like, are these the same people that were just trashing Justin Turner during the playoffs that were saying he was done? You know, we have to move on. So I, I get that. I get that. I think now is a time where we get to acknowledge the fact of everything that this guy has done for the Dodgers. So 
we're going to ignore last postseason's performance and the season before, okay? Because this is really, it's about saying thank you to Justin Turner. It's about appreciating all the good things that he did because that guy did more good than bad, right? So what is your, what was your initial reaction? I I, I know you, I think Babyface, you always thought it didn't look like he was going to, to come back. But when it became, when, when you saw the tweets and it said, that he was going to the Red Sox. What was your initial feeling, your reaction there? Yeah, just, you know, end of an era, right? I mean, I, I think we, you know, we had mentioned prior in the offseason, you'd heard some interviews that he had done, and you didn't hear that confidence in his voice, kind of like, like you know, yeah, this is it's going to happen. I'll be back, you know, kind of like any type of positive feeling. It was kind of like, you know, we'll see what happens. It's a business, you know, he, so he, he had that impression already kind of knowing, you know what? I may not be there next year. Right. And, and I think I mentioned it to you guys, if, if somehow if he would have not signed anywhere and it would have been like mid January, then I think, you know, he would have came back, you know, like Dylan, what we're talking about Dylan on, on Andrew's terms. Right. And, and I think JT, you know, he still feels he has some baseball in him and, you know, he, he took that two year deal. I think it's a one year uh, and a player option for the second year or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, when I first saw the, actually when, when I saw the Dodgers sign JD Martinez, right, that, that was kind of like, you knew, okay, that really, really limits now on the chances of JT coming back. And, and that's kind of what was going around that day. And then what is the next day, you know, JT is going to Boston. And when you think about it, Boston seems like a good spot for him, right? As far as familiar familiarity, you know, cause you know, Kike's there, Verdugo's there. Kenley's there, you know, he's good buddies with those guys. And if you saw Kiki Hernandez, you know, socials on Instagram, I mean, it's just, you know, he's not saying, hey, JT signed, but he, he, he's po- posting every picture he can find of, of him and, and JT together. So, you know, Kiki Hernandez is pretty happy that, that JT's, you know, heading to Beantown. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I have to admit, I, I was bummed uh, when it, it, it became a reality. There was a part of me that wanted to just focus on the baseball aspect of it because I really think what it came down to, and I know you and I have had this conversation off the air, but I think what this came down to was the fact that what happened, I think it wasn't a matter of the money. I don't think the money was an issue. I think what what it was... It was playing time. I think it was like, this is a guy I think who still feels like he could play. And the Dodgers have different plans. And we've talked about this in previous episodes where I I think they really want to find out what they have with these young kids. And the only way they're going to find that out is by actually giving them playing time. And I don't know if you can do that if you have Justin Turner on the squad because I think Justin Turner wants to play third base. I don't think Justin Turner wants to DH. So I, I think that's what it came down to. I think the second year also was probably a deal breaker. We heard Ned talk about it with Nick Punto and some of those other guys. They wanted two years, and it's just, you would think, and I saw this comment a lot on, on social media, hey, what's the extra year? Just go ahead. Again, for me, I, I really don't think money was the issue. It's the roster space because now, I mean, we saw this when it happened with Edwin Rios. It was a numbers game, right? Like Edwin Rios couldn't get back on the roster after he got hurt 
because it was a numbers game. You had to go with these guys. You had to go with them. So I think I, I think it was just it finally sunk in that, damn, he's not going to be here anymore. And, and we went over it with Ned in terms of, you know, all the great playoff moments. It just would it But to me, it, it's... It's he. It's the stuff off the field. It's who Justin Turner is. That's what I'm gonna miss because that guy was really a good dude, and we had a pleasure. He came on the show. Him and Courtney came on the show. They brought their dog. Check out that episode. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking with them, and he was just very loose and he was so laid back. And it's like you thought you were to me at least. It felt like I was just talking to some guy in some sports bar that I wasn't talking to a major leaguer. You know, so that uh, that that bums me out a little bit. It it, it made me think, and this is going to happen all the time. Uh, for me, it took me back to when Valenzuela it was let go by the Dodgers when they didn't brought. I I didn't know what to do with myself because at that point I'm just sitting there going, Valenzuela's not on the Dodgers anymore, but. Valenzuela is the reason why I was a Dodger fan. I'm sure older Dodger fans felt the same way when Steve Garvey left. You know, Steve Garvey left, and two years later, he had the show pods in the World Series. So maybe Justin Turner does have more baseball in him, and maybe he is. But I, I just think this was this was a numbers game, and the fact is that JD Martinez isn't going to take at bats away from Miguel Vargas. Having Justin Turner on the team is going to take at-bats away from Miguel Vargas. And that, to me, is, is what it comes down to. You, you need to know what you have with Miguel. Because if he is a guy who's going to pan out, or do we need to figure out if he's going to be a tr trade chip, you know, come late July, early August? Yeah. Um, yeah, then that's, that's what it boils down to is does Turner having Turner on the roster, does that take away at-bats from Miguel Vargas and and it does right and same thing with with Rios like you said if Rios would have been brought back they would have had to put him somewhere right likely third base DH same situation that's going to take away at bats from Miguel Vargas and I you know I think they really want to take a look at Miguel Vargas I mean is it going to be at third base probably yeah he'll probably get time there with with probably Muncie and probably in the outfield but they're going to probably you know he's probably going to be in there a good chunk of, you know, at least to start, you know, that's to start the season, he's going to be probably in everyday lineup. So, you know, like, like you said, you know, it's sad to see JT go because what, what he meant to the team, to the community. Right. I mean, just that's, that's like, like you're saying, that's the bigger part of JT is like, he's one of those players to me, at least when you think about, like the Dodgers, or you think of LA LA history players, right? Going back to to the Dodgers, right? When you think back, Valenzuela back in the eighties, Garvey, right? Those iconic players that you put them with teams, you know, Lakers, Magic, you know, Kobe, Shaq, right? Those guys that just stood out. Justin Turner is one of those guys for the Dodgers, right? You say Justin Turner, Dodgers, in the two thousands, right? You know, you know, ten, you know you know, from, you know, 20, you know, 15 or 14, whatever it was to, to now, right? He, he's one of those guys that's just going to stick out as a Dodger and you're going to always remember him as a Dodger, no matter what he does now with his, with his you know, last couple of seasons. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you had a chance to read uh, Bill Plaschke's article on Justin Turner, but he had a very interesting, uh, I think it's part of the headline, uh, where he just says, Justin Turner was not the greatest Dodger, but it's what you want. It, it's who you wanted a Dodger to be, is what Justin Turner, I mean, the guy was just, he showed up, he did his job, he performed, he was never a problem. You never had any off the field issues. He wasn't a distraction. The guy, I mean, the stuff that he did, he won the Roberto Clemente Award, the stuff that he did for veterans, the Justin Turner Foundation. The guy was just, he was a solid dude. And you had mentioned it, you brought it up with Ned too. You know, Courtney became also a very prominent person in this community. And you just associated the two of them. I, I saw a tweet that kind of made me laugh. Now that Courtney's gone, is who's going to be the leader of the Dodger Wives? You know, because that's kind of how you saw that. You saw Courtney as she was the one that was leading the Dodger Wives. So it, it's funny how this move was just felt through everywhere. Even the casual fan I ran into was just like, man... I get it. Bellinger's gone and the other ones, but the Justin Turner one just seemed to, to hurt more. And I, again, I can only compare it to Valenzuela. I can compare it to, you know, the, what those guys went through with Garvey. It, it made me think of when Jackie Robinson got traded to the Giants. He retired rather than play for the Giants, you know. Mm -hmm. So it eventually everything comes to an end. Our favorite Dodger players I I know people don't want to, and we're going to get probably crap about this also in the comment section, where it's just like, why are you guys thinking of hypotheticals? You know, deal with the now. Well, the reason why we deal with hypotheticals is hypotheticals, excuse me, is so we can appreciate the now, and so we have Kershaw for one more year. And I know I feel like I say this at the beginning of every year, appreciate Kershaw, guys, because I don't know how much longer we're going to have him. I, I mean, I, I see these all the time. I know Austin Barnes. I think he and Austin Barnes are the longest tenured Dodgers now. But now that there's less and less Dodgers that he played with on the team, do you think the chances are that Kershaw's going to ride off in the sunset or maybe go over to Texas if they keep signing players the way they're doing? Yeah. Um, uh, last thing on, on, uh, on the Courtney JT thing. Um, you know, you know they have a podcast, right? And Courtney does, right? Yes. You know what episode they're at? They're at episode ninety nine. So they're up at they're at episode nine. So they're one hundredth episode. I, I I think I have a pretty good idea what that show is going to be about. <laughs> so that's going to be a pretty yeah. good episode to to check them out. It's probably going to be their their goodbye to L A or something. So that yeah. that might be something to <laughs> to check out. I think they they timed that pretty pretty perfectly right there. But yeah, I mean, we we gotta appreciate Kershaw. Um, I think Kershaw wants he wants another title with LA, right? He did, he wants another title bad with LA. You know, he wants to yeah to win a title. Um, you know, to end all the talk. You know, of the shortened season stuff. You know, get the get get the title in the full season. Get the parade that we didn't get. Um, and maybe you know he would ride off into the sunset. Or, you know, maybe he has that itch to pitch for his hometown team. You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that want to do that. They just want to, hey, this is my team. I at least want to play a season with them, you know, just just to do it. You know, to me, like I, I mentioned, to me, that'd be, uh, it'd feel kind of like uh, that's a shame that, that he's going to put on another uniform 
you know, but I understand why he would do it. You know, you know, for us, like I said, we want to see Kershaw as a Dodger. That's it. And never put on another uniform. Well, the only other uniform he's going to put on is, is the WBC uniform. If you want to talk about that as well as he, this week, we learned that he will be in, you know, he had mentioned it prior a couple of weeks ago that he was kind of, you know, feeling it out and seeing if everything's going to line up and, and it has, so he's going to be a part of that team. So that's going to be something definitely, you know, worth checking out that, that, that USA team is loaded. I yes. mean, they are loaded for the first time they are loaded and it's crazy to think, that they won the last WBC, right? So they're the defending yeah. champions, but this team is loaded. That team was nowhere near what this team has, and this team is loaded. You know, you know, just like all the other teams that come in, you know, Puerto Rico, the Dominican are always loaded. USA is loaded this year, this year so it's going to be a fun WBC. Yeah, and I, you know, I saw the comments already. I know people are nervous that Kershaw is going to pitch at the WBC. That they think it's risky. Look, it's anybody who plays in this thing, it, it's going to be risky. It's the same risk that they're taking in spring training. You could get hurt in spring training. You can't prevent injury. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But I'm just going to say this out to everyone out there. Just think about it. It's not like Kershaw's going to go and throw 100 pitches in these games. Like, they, like Babyface just said, this team is loaded. They don't need Kershaw to pitch six innings. You know, if Kershaw goes out there and pitches three or four, they've got enough depth on this team that they, they can get through it. So I don't, I'm not worried that Kershaw, if he gets hurt, it's going to be because of overuse in the WBC. If Kershaw gets hurt, it's just going to be because Kershaw's got a lot of miles on him and whether it was in the WBC or in spring training, he was going to get hurt anyways if he ends up getting hurt. I just don't think you can prevent that. Um, last thing before we move off of uh, Justin Turner, what is going to be your, la your last image? Like, if I say to you, Justin Turner on the Dodgers, what is the one image that you think of? Uh, it's probably got to be like those walk-offs, you know, the, the walk-offs in the playoffs, the walk -off, the walk-offs against the Cubs. Um, I think those, um, I think prior to that walk-off against the Cubs, I'm, I'm trying to remember, there was another iconic home run. The, the first one where he kind of did the, this, but it wasn't in yeah. the, I don't know if it was in the playoffs, right? That's, that's the one that I based, I had a Rojo, Rojo Chingon shirt. That's yeah. the one that I based that off of. I think that was, I'm trying to remember when that was, I think it's probably the year before the walk off uh, against the Cubs. But that's what, yeah, that's that's what you remember those those big hits, the walk offs, um, and you know, like like Ned mentioned, uh, that play against the Braves in the in in the NLCS, right, where no outs, they had a, what was the first and second, no bases loaded, right, bases loaded, yeah. I think, and they get that double play, they get uh, Swanson at, at going home. And then they get they get the third out they get the second out at third base. So those big plays is what you're going to re remember JT for on the field, just just stepping up and 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 being clutch. Yeah, that that to me that's what I when I think of Justin Turner, I think of that. I think they made it a bobblehead too, where it's just the image of him pulling a Superman to make that tag, and and that was huge. I mean, again, I have to remind everyone the Dodgers were down three one. Mm -hmm in that series. So you needed plays like that to be able to come back to it. So it is very sad. I mean, when he does come back, 
uh, to Dodger Stadium. I mean, the guy's going to get a standing ovation. I think it's a foregone conclusion. Everyone believes that Justin Turner is going to come back once he's actually done playing to be a part of the organization. I hope that's true. Uh, I think he is only a benefit if he, in any capacity, that he works in this organization. So, go ahead. Sadly, the you know how now uh, every team will play every team this year. Yeah, but the Dodgers will play the Red Sox, but they're playing them in Boston. Yeah. So if you want to see JT come back close to LA, I'm sure he'll be you know, he'll be in Anaheim. So you know, if people want to head on down there and and show your support for for JT when when that happens, yeah, you know, just make that trip down to Anaheim. Yeah, he'll he'll get a nice round of applause when he comes down to Anaheim. Uh, is is there anything that stood out to you from what Ned was talking to us about? Yeah, just I mean, just that character, like said that. That's what kind of like, I mean, you know, you have no way of knowing this guy. You know, he gets he gets let go by the Mets, right? And then you you pick him up just to be you know a utility guy, just depth, right? I mean, and what he became, right? Just what he became to the Dodgers, the city. I mean, he said you know he 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 saw who he was as a character, the character he had, right? And you know he believed in that that person and the character, the type of person he was, but just you know to see how he developed as a player, right? And 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 be, like I said, just became one of when you when you think of when you think of the Dodgers in that from that time frame, Justin Turner is like one of the top guys you would think of. You'd be like Kershaw, Justin Turner, right? Yeah, no. For me, I, what I find really interesting, and you brought it up, was. The last time the Dodgers did a youth movement was when Ned was in charge. It was when you had Matt Kemp, Andre Ethier, Russell Martin, uh, James Loney was there, and Billingsley. And I mean, you had that young crew, and it set up, you know, this 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 run that it seems like it's becoming it's coming to an end. But if this next group of players, if they hit on these guys, Ned said it. You could set up another playoff run for another decade, and that would just be absolutely crazy. Ned is not the only one that has said this to us. A lot of former Major League Baseball players that come on this show always tell us the same thing. It's hard to win. It is hard to win. If the Dodgers do set up another run with this young batch of players that will be around together for a while— I mean that that's going to be insane. That is, uh, that could be twenty years of having competitive baseball, which is something that this organization has never seen before. Yeah, and I think that's something too that a lot of fans are worried about because um, there hasn't been that many moves. You know, they they haven't seen them kind of spend. They've seen everybody kind of just going on this spending spree, right, and and paying you know three hundred million dollars to players, and the Dodgers aren't doing that. So they're worried that this year is going to be, you know, like a down year. And the Dodgers are still going to be competitive. And one thing we've learned is the Dodgers don't need to win the NL West, right? And they don't need to win the and they don't need to win the NL West by like 20 games. You know, if they win the NL West, cool, but they don't need to need the NL West. They need to get into the playoffs, right? And and they need to get into the playoffs. And if it's if it's in, you know, the wild card series with two out of three, you know, so be it, right? They get they're in and and if they're hot you know, and they play and they need players to perform in the playoffs, right? That's what we've always said. They need guys that are going to step up in the playoffs and they signed JD Martinez. JD Martinez has been a good 
postseason player. So that that's a step in the in the right direction, right? It looks like Andrew Friedman is looking for guys that have a track record that are going to be producing when it comes to October. So they've got one in JD Martinez now. So you know we'll see what they keep on adding to that. Yeah, I I find it very interesting because JD Martinez was a name that I had heard before this offseason, always linked to the Dodgers, that the Dodgers were looking at J.D. Martinez. And I know there were some concerns that uh, signing J.D. Martinez, well, the only thing he could do is play D.H. That guy is, he can't play the field. He's going to be your D.H. So if he's your everyday D.H., that means you're not, there were a lot of times the Dodgers last year had Will Smith as the D.H. and Austin Barnes catching. So you're not going to see that. To people who think that, I will say this. J.D. Martinez kills left-handed pitching. I, in my opinion, see a lot of uh, a lot of lineups where J.D. Martinez pitch, uh, hits against left-handed pitching and maybe sits against right-handed pitching, and then you will see that Will Smith in the D.H. spot with Austin Barnes catching. So I, I don't think you lose uh, any of the flexibility that the Dodgers had before. But we mentioned this before. What it does do is J.D. Martinez doesn't take at-bats away from Miguel Vargas. It doesn't take at-bats away from any of these younger guys who, when they are playing, they're going to be playing in the field. They're not going to be DHing. Maybe occasionally we saw Miguel Vargas DH last year, maybe. But that was just to get him in the lineup with Justin Turner not there. And you don't have to worry about J.D. Martinez playing in the field. If Miguel Vargas is playing, he's going to be playing in the field and his bat's going to be in the lineup. So I don't think you only, I mean, you got him for one year. You know, anything you get out of J.D. Martinez, in my opinion, is gravy. And if he ends up performing the way historically he does in the playoffs and the Dodgers get to the playoffs, then then that's a plus. The signing, that signing is not something that, that bothered me at all. I know people think, well, because we signed J.D. Martinez, we lost Justin Turner. Look, we went over that, people. The, the Justin Turner thing is a numbers game. Um, we we had talked last episode about with Syndergaard. I mean, I think people are pretty confident that Mark Pryor is going to turn Syndergaard around. He made his press conference. Babyface, you were there. What Was there anything that Syndergaard said that uh, caught your attention? Well, I mean, he said because uh, last year he was first season back from Tommy John, so his velocity was down, right? And this is Syndergaard. You know, we're used to seeing this guy throwing over a hundred, and he did say that there's no. He feels that there's no reason that he shouldn't be throwing a hundred this season, so he feels like he can he can get back to to that velocity. Um, and he, you know, he said, uh, I mean, one of the reasons he came here is because. Whatever the whoever the Dodgers touch basically turns to gold, right? The Dodgers yeah. have that Midas touch. He he saw what they did with Heaney. He saw what they did with Anderson. Um, so he wants to be that next guy. He wants to be that next guy and show that you know he can do it and 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 prove himself and bet on himself and and get back to the the Syndergaard that we that we've known. And he, uh, interesting too, uh, he said that he's he's dreamed about being a Dodger like ever since he he came to Dodger Stadium in 2015. He'd hear the crowd. He'd hear. He'd just feel that atmosphere in Dodger Stadium, and he loved pitching there. And he wanted to be a Dodger. So that was kind of surprising too. You know, I, I never figured that he wanted to be a Dodger, um, but you know, that's what he said. And, and um, he also said uh, 
at the end of the month, he'll be heading down to Arizona and he's going to start. He's going to start getting ready for the season and, you know, at the Dodger facility, working with the coaches. So um, I'm looking forward to see what he's going to do. You know, it's, it's, uh, I definitely believe Mark Pryor can, can, you know, turn around guys, you know, we've seen it. And, you know, if he does it again with, uh, with Noah Syndergaard, uh, I think Mark Pryor, Mark Pryor should definitely be uh, getting some kind of a uh, end of year award as well. <laughs> That's right. Right. I, I mean, the, the funniest thing to me about that press conference and going into that press conference, I know you had made a big deal about it. You were putting it on the socials was they had listed him as number 34. And I know there were some rumblings. It's still there by chance. It's still, it's still there. So it's still kind of nervous on that. But they said, he said he's going to wear 43. But I will say this, if he wore 34 and he talked about he couldn't wait to be a Dodger because of the crowd, let me tell you, if he came out there with the 34, and I'm not saying everybody at Dodger Stadium, but I think there would be a good number of people that would be like scratching their head going, what the hell is this guy wearing number 34, you know, going out there. So I thought that was funny. Uh we had mentioned that Kershaw is going to be uh, joining the WBC. He was recently, uh, the, the American team in the WBC, he was recently interviewed by Alana Rizzo, and he made a comment, and it's a favorite topic for you loyal listeners on this show, that he had said, he had told Alana uh, that he feels that Julio doesn't, Julio Diaz doesn't get enough respect. And I we I guess we got into a little bit of uh, of a kerfuffle with uh, some of our listeners last week again because we deal with too much hypotheticals on this show. But we had said when we were talking with Dylan actually that you know we we are concerned that the Dodgers are not going to resign Julio Urias or that Julio Urias is not going to want to resign with the Dodgers. But now when you hear Kershaw say that Julio doesn't get the respect. Uh, that he deserves. I I, I I feel like this Julio thing is going to be a storyline. He's going into a free agent season. I, if Julio is successful, and we talked about this off the air, babyface, if Julio ends up winning the Cy Young, I mean, his price is just going to go through the roof. And this is going to be my, this is my concern. The Dodgers aren't spending money. The speculation is, is they're saving all this money to sign Otani, it seems like Otani's going to be their priority. How is Julio going to react to that? How is Julio going to see it? be like, oh, okay, you guys are more than willing to pay Otani, but I've been a consistent performer. I won you guys a World Series. And again, I'm going to take a back seat. You know, Greg Berman of ESPN LA uh, on the, was on the show throwing out this theory, saying that he feels that... that Urias isn't happy with the Dodgers, and he attributes it to maybe the Dodgers prefer or give preferential treatment to Bueller over Urias. And maybe that, I mean, maybe this is all just a, a, a completely crazy narrative that is completely asinine. But it, it just seems, and I know you feel this way, that Julio just doesn't, it's like he's a backup plan to everything. And if the Dodgers don't sign Otani and then they turn all their attention to Urias and be like, okay, we're, we're going to give you, how is Urias going to take that? Oh, you only want me because you couldn't get Otani. And, you know, to, to that of you know, being hypothetical, it's not really a hypothetical. Yes. It's, it's, he's a free agent next season, but they could sign him now. 
right? You know, they could extend him now. I mean, yeah, it's not going to, probably not going to happen because of his agent Scott Boris, right? He doesn't. He wants to take all his guys to free agency and get them as much money as they can. So you know, so hypothetical, you know, non hypothetical, it could happen tomorrow, right? He could get extended. But you know, like we were saying, you know, the things that we've mentioned, like, hey, he should have won the Cy Young, you know, this year, or he should have been in the running last year. You know, he he had the most wins. You know, over last couple of seasons, he's right up there, most wins, best ERA, right? These are the things that Scott Boris is going to take to the bank next year when when he's talking to teams. Hey, my guy has the most wins in MLB over you know this span. You know, his ERA, top ERA over this span, right? That's what he's taking out there, but yet. It wasn't good enough, you know, this season for him to to even get second place in the Cy Young Award, right? He got third. So those are the things, you know, that you're going to be hearing next at the end, of, you know, and at the end of this coming season with Julio. And, you know, we want Julio back. I mean, uh, you know, th- nobody can say we don't want Julio back, but we want him to be a priority as well, right? Because, you, yeah. you know, when you saw Rodon get six years, what did he get, like 180? Something like that, right? One sixty something, didn't he? Well, okay, yeah. So he's up. So what's Julio gonna get? Yeah. What are you gonna offer offer Julio? He's gonna be what 27, 28, going into his free agent year, going. Some would say right into his prime, right? What are you gonna give him? It's gonna be a ten year deal, twelve year deal. What, what is he? Is he like he's like twenty four right now, right? It, uh, I think he's. A, let me let me just double check real quick. Well, while you're doing that, and I and I before you know, I know I'm going to see this comment on on the social media. Well, why can't we sign them both? Look, Otani's going to require it. The growing trend right now in baseball is these long contracts. So there's rumors that he's going to want a ten year deal. Okay, so let's say you give Otani a ten year deal, and then Julio's going to want a long contract. So right now, the bare minimum is six years, right? Because that's what Rodon got. So Urias, who's younger than Rodon, is going to at least want six years. If he's around 24, 25, do, do you have the number he's, yet? He's 26. He'll turn 27 in August. So he'll be 27 when he hits free agency. 27 is super young for a pitcher of the caliber of Julio Urias to be hitting the free agent market, right? Yeah. So, I mean, a 10-year, 10-year deal takes him to 37, right? You got, you got Scherzer and Verlander pitching into their 40s right now. So what type of deal is, is Julio going to get realistically? It's got to be over 10 years, right? I, I don't know if it's going to be over 10 years. I can see them doing an eight-year deal. I, I can see them taking him to 35, but bare minimum six. But that's the Dodgers. Yeah. What's the team like the Mets, the Padres, the Yankees? There you go. The show pods. That's the team. That's the team that makes me nervous that will overpay to get Julio. And not just because he's a good pitcher, but business-wise, because there is a belief that there are some people that feel that the Dodgers, in terms of marketing, have not really marketed Julio in a correct way. You don't think the show pods would love to market to the border town there? Look who we have here, Julio Diaz. Come here. Come see Julio. I mean, if that happens, it's just going to be so disappointing to see that the show pods are able to market Julio. But again, these are hypotheticals, and I get it. You guys don't want us talking about this stuff. So, But it's just something to, talk, to, to think about, and it just crossed my mind in the fact that the Dodgers aren't spending any money. 
they they seem to be saving it. It seems to be Otani who they're targeting, but they got another free agent pitcher who's pretty damn good, who's going to want to get paid too. So I, I'm just curious as to what goes uh, in all what he's thinking about all this stuff. But I buried the lead there, babyface. Before we end the show, uh, the Dodgers finally de- dealt with Scott Boris. You know, when we had Dylan Hernandez on the show, he had mentioned that the Dodgers have not really dealt with Scott <clears throat> Boris. Well, J.D. Martinez is a Scott Boris client. So the Dodgers are, maybe they're setting the groundwork and just, you know, hey, Scott, we got we got one of your clients on. Maybe help us with Julio. I, I'm hoping that's the case. But And they got him cheap, too. $10 million is cheap for, for J.D. Martinez. Yeah. Uh, Miguel got 11 with the Twins. So Dodgers exactly. Gotta, Dodgers got to yeah. deal with J.D. Martinez. And, and J.D. Martinez put up better numbers last year than than, than your guy, you. So we're going to end the show because we got Christmas coming up. Uh, we we see these lists all the time on social media. So uh, the Carne Asada wants to put on their own list here. And that's going to be in terms of our top five Christmas foods. And uh, before we go into the Christmas foods list, though, Babyface, are you a guy who celebrates on Christmas Eve? Or do you celebrate Christmas Day? So, growing up with my family, you know, we'd we'd go to to visit uh, some friends' family house every year, right? We'd go there Christmas Eve. Uh, everybody would bring their gifts and just put you know hundreds of gifts under the tree. You know, strike uh, strike of midnight. Everybody, boom! Here's a gift, 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 and everybody just opened up their gifts, right? So I did that all growing up. Once I got married, became a parent. Uh, that switched over now to Christmas morning in part because it'd be 12 o'clock. We're in here wrapping up gifts, getting all the gifts, getting them under the tree, right? Getting Santa Claus to making the delivery and, and, and putting everything under the tree. So we've switched to, to Christmas morning. Um, I kind of like the Christmas morning now because when I think back, I'm like, Hey man, nothing for, there's nothing for us to do on actual Christmas day. Right. Cause we're by, by 12, 15, you know, we've opened up all our gifts. So now, kind of wait till the morning and you know kids get up early and then they go to the tree and you know and and, and do their thing so christmas morning now well I, I am a christmas eve guy we celebrate christmas eve we stay up until midnight we open all the gifts so we stay up late christmas uh eve and then christmas day we basically just it's like a hangover we just sleep in and then when we wake up we play with our toys as an adult it's kind of what you said. We, we got nothing to do. You know, we already partied the night before. So it is just a super lazy day on Christmas Day. But we are Christmas Eve uh, people. So we, we celebrate on, on Christmas Eve. I want to get over into this top five uh, Christmas foods, Christmas Day foods. Uh, I'm going to, do you want to go first or do you have your five? I don't know if I have Five. I mean, just the one that that I think is 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 like the food for you know all all Latinos and, and Mexicans, right? Is the tamales, right? The tamales, yes. right? But, and you know, so I am Mexican and Guatemalan. So I grew up with the Guatemalan tamales. I don't know if you've ever had the Guatemalan yes, tamales. Yes, yes, yes. My so, girl is Guatemalan, so okay. she introduced me to the Guatemalan oh. tamal. So as you, you you can see, it's made differently, right? It still yes. has the wrap. But it's not it's not the corn the corn leaf. You use the green. You use the green leaf. The banana leaf. It's Uh it's a banana leaf. So so the tamale is is really soft, 
it's really yes. soft and moist and then you, know, you have the meat in there so it's really soft and that's what i grew up on that those watermelon tamales you know christmas morning you know my mom would make the 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 breakfast you know eggs whatever and and and, and just the tamale right the, the the watermelon tamale and that's what i grew up on and you know the the mexican tamale um uh, we also make a, a version of that, but we call those chuchitos. So mm-hmm. they're, they're like they're like smaller tamales. They're smaller, you know, the same thing in the corn, but we call those chuchitos. Um, but then, and then, you know, now I do get the the, the Mexican tama- the tamales, um, but it's kind of hard to find a place. Like I don't really have a go-to place for those. Um, you know, there's a place right here in, in Levinchino. So there's a place, some restaurants, but they're they're kind of some some years they have them, some years they don't. This year I haven't had a, t- a tamale yet, so it doesn't even feel like it's Christmas time yet because I haven't I haven't had one yet, so it's kind of odd. So, but that I mean it's it's pretty much it. That my top five is like one thing: is tamales, watermelon tamales. Okay, well <laughs> tamales are on my my top five. Um, it, actually, tamales is number one on my list, and in particular, I like I'm a big fan of los de puerco, uh, the puerco with the red sauce, but. I'm also a big fan of the green sauce tamal with with chicken, de pollo. I'm a big fan also, I love all tamales, but I'm a big fan of los de rajas, which is the jalapeno and the and the queso. Uh, so tamales is number one on my list. Uh, number five on my list, it seems like the, I only drink this at Christmas time, is atole. I'm not sure how many of our listeners are fans of atole, but to me, Christmas represents, it's atole. That's the only time you want to drink atole for me is on Christmas. And number four, my dessert, my favorite dessert, and I seem to always eat this around Christmas time, are buñuelos. Have you had buñuelos before? Yeah, at that that house that I told you that I grew up going to, uh, she would make buñuelos every every. Every Christmas Eve, too, and, and we'd have those there, yeah. Yeah, buñuelos are fantastic. Um, number three, oh, my gosh, I think I just lost my number three. I don't have a number three, so maybe it's just a top four. So let me let me re- restart this. Top four is a, uh, is a tole. Three are buñuelos. Two is pozole. Uh, I have to have pozole uh, on Christmas. Uh, Christmas Eve. It, it's fantastic. My tia Leticia makes this green tom, uh, pozole. I know there's the red, but for me, I, I'm, I'm a person who prefers the green, and I love the, the cabbage on top of it, or, you know, repollo, or when I was a kid and they used to send me to the store and I didn't know how to say repollo in English, and I would call it red chicken. That's I, I would just put that on there. But number one, as we mentioned, is the tamal. That is the number one Christmas food for me. Yeah. So yeah. we have a top four. Actually, we'll, we'll actually, combine. We'll uh, add uh, your five. Actually, actually, I could, I could, I could add two and three. Po- pozole too. Uh, okay. You know, uh, we, I get the pozole, the the green, the green pozole. Uh, I prefer that over the red, or and, and even over menudo. I'm not a big menudo fan, so I like, yeah. I like the, the the green pozole. And I forgot. Um, Everybody's favorite, pan dulce, right? You got to have some pan dulce, right? Okay, so, so yeah, all right. So let's do that then. We'll make pan dulce our number five. I'm including your Guatemalan uh, tamales in the, the tamale list. So the Bleedlos podcast official Christmas food list goes as follows. 
Are you okay? Do you want to put buñuelos? Do you want to? No, atole has to be five. Atole has to now, be five because of the of those five, atole is my least favorite. Now, atole is kind of it's kind of like a hot chocolate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I well not necessarily a hot chocolate, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit hot, right? Yeah, and like, uh, did they have like butter or something like that in it or something like that? You know, let, go ahead and, and, and vamp. I, I want to see what the actual ingredients are because there's different atoles, right? Because I, I just remember as a kid, I think drinking that and the next thing I knew it was it was coming out. So I, I kind of have, have stayed away from that. Well, so. because they, they have like you can have an atole de elote. You can have an atole de chocolate, de chocolate. Uh, but it, it's yeah, it's basically a, a hot drink is what the atole is but it to me it's it's my least favorite but if i'm gonna drink it it's you're basically drinking liquid flour is what you're drinking yeah, with, yeah. with atole yeah, yeah. right so that to me is is my least favorite christmas food four do you want to go then with buñuelos yeah and then three pan dulce mm. and then two pozole and number one day. is tamales is, yeah, is that yeah, is that the yeah. official blade loss pod? That is the carne yeah. asada's list for top Christmas foods. Yeah, yeah and some like I said, my favorite are, are the the Guatemalan tamales, uh, and it's, it's usually pork in those. And then as far as the Mexican ones, I like uh, um, chicken or cheese. Those are my top two on those on that side. Do you do you like the rajas? Do you like the ones with jalapeno uh, in it, or just cheese? No, it'll get too spicy for me sometimes. <laughs> There you have it, everybody. So uh, Merry Christmas, everyone, because by the time you guys are listening to this episode, we're going to be very close to Christmas. And who knows when you listen to this episode. You might listen to this episode on Christmas Day. So Feliz Navidad, everyone. I, I don't think Ned was far off when he said that Justin Turner is going to be one of those historical Dodgers, where I, I think Turner is going to be looked at in the same way as as like a Steve Garvey in that Justin Turner represented, especially for this period of Dodgers, he represented the Dodgers. So uh, we want to thank everyone. Again, if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Help us spread the word. Tell everyone. Let them know about the Bleed Los Podcast and the Carne Asada. Because, you know, you never know who's going to show up on the Carne Asada. So, yo he sido su servidor, Juan Ramirez. Y de parte de mi colega, Babyface... Les deseamos una feliz Navidad y nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast has been, brought on, has been brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 